Hi, my name is Margaret. The second Bible reading is Psalm 7, which can be read on the screen or in the Bibles in the pews in front of you. Psalm 7, starting at verse 1. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will rip, tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure, you, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Margaret. You could um, keep your Bible open and we'll uh, work through that psalm. If you're a note taker, you'll find an outline in the handout as well, which might uh, help you as well. But as we begin, I'm going to pray for our time, so please pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are, the sovereign king of all things. We thank you for graciously revealing yourself to us in your word, and as we consider it today, may you use it to grow us in our love and appreciation of your greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Uh, that's a quote. Do you know who it's from? Well, it's not from Batman, even though it sounds like it might be. It's actually from Martin Luther King Jr., the famous uh, activist. And of course, he was talking specifically about racial injustices. But it's a quote that can apply to any injustice. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I love that quote, it really resonates with me. I have a strong sense of justice. And deep down, though, I suspect it actually resonates with all of us. Because deep down, we all long for justice. And let me illustrate it to you. I think one of the, the most clear places we see this kind of desire for justice is with kids. So think back to when you were a teenager. Or if you're a teenager here, think back to now. Uh, but think back to when you're a teenager and imagine you were sitting there with your siblings or your cousins or your friends or someone. And in walks your dad. 
and in his hand is a brown paper bag with those glorious golden arches on them, McDonald's. But what's particularly good is that this bag is clearly too big for just enough food for one person. He's clearly got enough food in there for multiple people. And so he walks over to you and your cousin and your, or your sibling or your friend. He puts his hand into the bag. He brings out some food. And he gives it to your sibling or to your cousin or to your friend. And as he does, you can imagine your mouth starts watering as you think, oh, this is going to be good. I can't wait to get mine. But then imagine if he just didn't give you any. He then pulls out another helping and he starts eating it. So your cousin got some and he got some, but you didn't get any. If that happened to you, how would you feel? I think we'd take up the cry of Martin Luther King Jr. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I mean, of course, it's a light example, but I think it highlights the fact that we feel injustices strongly. We hate injustice. And of course, that's a silly example. But I wonder, have you ever been the victim of a worse injustice than that? Have you ever had someone go behind your back and say things about you that weren't true and that made others think differently about you and act differently to you? Have you ever had people deliberately and willingly do harm to you? Not for any particular reason, you didn't do anything to them, but they just did harm to you for no reason. Have you ever been the victim of something like that? Have you ever been the victim of injustice? Well, David had, and that's what Psalm 7 is all about. And the title there in your Bible, you should have a bit of a title. Have a look at the title. It gives us a little bit of context for what's going on. It says this, A Shigeon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Now, that's actually the only time that word Shigeon appears in the Bible, but it seems to be some kind of song of lament, some song of sadness. And it's about this guy, Cush the Benjamite. Now, we actually don't know who Cush the Benjamite was. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But what we do know is that David's predecessor as king, Saul, was a Benjamite. And Saul had surrounded himself with Benjamites. And so perhaps uh, that's what lay behind Cush's animosity towards David. Because what's clear as we then continue is that Cush is causing David a huge amount of grief. In fact, the language that David uses is that Cush is like a lion hunting David. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. See, David takes refuge in God from those pursuing him because he knows if they catch him, they will tear him apart like a lion. Now, we all know that lions are extremely deadly. In fact, I read a story recently about these two lions called the Tsavo lions. And it's a pair of lions that killed and ate 135 people. This pair of lions killed and ate 135 people. See, lions are incredible hunters. They're silent and they're agile. They have teeth that can be as long as 10 centimeters. So they have teeth that are this long, that are like daggers. They have claws that can just tear through human flesh like a knife through butter. They have jaws that can literally crush human bones. And David says, 
That's what his enemies are like. That's what they will do to him if they catch him. But what's clear is that David knows this is undeserved. David knows that he is the victim of injustice, of false accusations. And that's why then in verses 3 to 5, he essentially says to God, if I'm guilty of what they've been accusing me of, then let me be brought to justice. Have a look at verses 3 to 5. Lord my God, if I have done this and there's guilt on my hands, if I've repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. See, David says, if I've betrayed an ally or if I've robbed a foe, then I deserve the consequences of that. It's a a really honest and vulnerable prayer to God. He calls on God to examine him and to see whether he is guilty or not. It's a bold move to make because if he is guilty, then he's inviting God's judgment on himself. But he's willing to invoke a curse on himself because he knows that he's innocent. He's given his enemies no cause at all to attack him. See, David is the victim of injustice, just like we're sometimes the victim of injustice. And so the question then is this, what do we do when we are the victim of injustice? Do we take things into our own hands? Do we seek retribution? Do we fight fire with fire? We'll make them wish they'd never treated us so unfairly. Or do we do nothing? Do we just bite our tongue and let it pass us by? Or do we try and go to the authorities? Do we try and go to the court system? Maybe we try and sue them. See, when we're like David, when we're victimized, mistreated, falsely accused, what do we do? Well, this psalm shows us. It tells us what we can do when we're the victim of injustice. It says we can call to God for action. We can have peace that God can enact justice and God will enact justice. And we can worship our righteous Lord. And so the first thing we can do is call to God for action. That's what David does. And in fact, in the first nine verses of the psalm, there are six imperatives. Now, if you can't remember back to your schooling days and you can't remember what an imperative is, it's an exhortation or it's a command kind of word. And there are six of them in the first nine verses. But on top of that, there's also another five jussives. Now, we don't have jussives in English, but jussives are another grammatical form of exhortation or request. And so what that means, in the first nine verses, David calls to God for help 11 times. 11 times David asks and exhorts and pleads with God to act. Have a look at verse 6. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. See, David calls on God to awake and to arise. This is the kind of language that's used in the Psalms for a battle cry. It's meant to kind of stir God up to go and fight. It's a bit like what you see in lots of action movies. Before the big battle scene, often there'll be this rousing speech. Now, one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. That's a great movie, definitely worth watching. But right at the start, Maximus is out fighting the Germanic tribes and before they go off to battle, he gives this rousing speech to the soldiers, getting them ready for the fight. And in a sense, 
that's a little bit like what David is doing here. He's calling God to battle. He's calling God, awake, arise, come and judge my enemies. Bring justice in the face of injustice. And as God awakes and arises, and as the people sit around God's throne, David wants God to judge. Have a look at verses 7 and 8. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit on while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the people. See, David's not scared of God's judgment because he knows that he's innocent. Now, it is worth noting something here. David is not claiming to be innocent of any accusation. He's not claiming to be a perfect person. In fact, in just last week's psalm, remember Psalm 6, David lamented his own sin. David knows that he's a sinner, but what he's saying is that in this instance, he is innocent of their accusations. He's not done what they are accusing him of having done. And so he says, judge the people, God. And then he continues his cry for action. He cries for God to vindicate him and to end the wicked people and to protect the righteous people. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. See, David knows that he is innocent and he knows the guilt of the wicked. And so he calls to God for action. He says, do something about it, God. And I wonder, have you ever felt like that? In the face of injustice, have you ever felt like calling out to God, God, do something about it, awake and arise? I remember thinking that, that exact thing with the Andrew Thorburn situation. Do you remember that story? Earlier this year, he was appointed as the chief executive of the Essendon Football Club, but then less than a day later, he was forced to resign. Why? What heinous crimes had he committed? Was he caught in a compromising situation? Was he caught taking illicit drugs? Was he caught taking bribes or using racial slurs? Well, none of that. His only crime was being a conservative, was being part of a conservative evangelical church. A church that holds to the biblical teaching that marriage is between a man and a woman and that life begins at conception. Now, that's a, a belief, a view that the Bible is very clear on and that Christians have held for the last 2,000 years. And yet for that, he was forced out of his job simply for going to a church that holds those teachings. That is injustice, to lose your job simply for that. And when you heard that story, how did you feel? Did you want to call out to God for action? I did. I remember sitting in the car, listening to the radio as I heard that. And I got so frustrated by it, I had to turn the radio off. And I cried something similar to what David prays here. Awake, God. Arise, God. Bring justice, God, in the face of this injustice. And this is what this psalm shows us we can do. When we see the injustices of the world around us, and when we experience injustices, when people lie about us or falsely accuse us, when people spread rumors about us that aren't true, when people say we've done something that we haven't, what can we do? Well, we don't take things into our own hands, but rather we call out to God. We call to God for action. We say, God, please do something. Please bring justice. And then once we've done that, we can have peace. 
we can have peace that God can enact justice and that God will enact justice. Firstly, that he can enact justice. See, David feels secure knowing that God is a mighty warrior. God is a God who can protect him and attack his enemies. And that's why uh, David uses such military language to describe God. Have a look at verses 10 to 13. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. It's a picture of God readying his military strength. It's a bit like saying, if God does not relent, he will load his shotgun. He will arm and fire his missile launcher. He's prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his nuke. See, it's a, it's a description of God's mighty, mighty power. It's a picture of God reading his arsenal of weapons. See, God is not a weak, powerless judge. He's not someone who wants to bring justice but can't. He's not a benevolent weakling, but rather a mighty, powerful warrior, one who's much more powerful than the wicked and the wickedness of this world. God can enact justice. But I wonder, when you've you've faced injustices, have you ever felt powerless in the face of it? Like there's just nothing you can do to stop it. I know of one minister who's been the victim of incredible slander online, on Facebook. Uh, There's a group of people with a real chip on their shoulder about him. And he hasn't really done anything to them. He hasn't caused, he hasn't done anything that's deserving of this. But for some reason, they've decided that they hate him and they want to hound him out of ministry. And so they continually post the most vile and slanderous things about him. Just really terrible stuff. Stuff that he doesn't believe, stuff that's not true. They take his quotes and they take it out of context or misrepresent them. They deliberately twist what he's saying. All of that to try and destroy him. But the problem is, he can't do anything to stop it. Uh, Firstly, because this is Facebook and Facebook's uh, the Wild West. You can't really do anything on Facebook to stop this kind of thing. But secondly, because many of these people are using fake accounts. They're using fake IDs to try and pretend to be people they're not. And so there's nothing he can do to stop that. He feels completely powerless in the face of this injustice. I wonder, have you ever experienced anything like that? Have you ever experienced injustice where you feel completely and utterly powerless to do anything about it, to stop the injustice, to right the wrong? In fact, maybe that's what you're feeling right now. That's what, maybe that's what you're feeling today as you sit there. Maybe someone has wronged you grievously. You're the victim of gross injustice. Well, if that's you today, then cry out to God in prayer. That's the best thing you can do. Call to God for action. And then, take heart that God is strong enough to bring justice. God can enact justice. We might not be able to, but God can. And not only can God enact justice, God will enact justice. Because that's what we see in verses 14 to 16. David says that the perpetrators of this injustice, the wicked and the evil ones, they will get their comeuppance. Their wickedness and evilness will come back on them. And he starts by using an illustration about pregnancy. Have a look at verse 14. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. So evil is like a pregnancy. It has a conception or a beginning, 
and then it has an endpoint. But with pregnancy, of course, the endpoint is a beautiful little baby. But for evil, what's the endpoint? Disillusionment. In other words, nothingness and emptiness. It is a fruitless exercise. And then he elaborates by talking about the traps and the plots of evil people. Have a look at verse 15. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. See, they plot traps for others, but end up trapping themselves. Uh, when my dad was a kid, he used to spend a lot of time at the, at the beach in summer, and his mum, my, my nana, basically just let them do whatever they want, so he had, had to find a lot of uh, ways to entertain himself. And one of the things he used to do was go to the beach and dig out a hole, maybe about kind of that wide, uh, maybe about that deep, he'd dig the hole out, and then he'd get a bunch of sticks, and he'd put the sticks over the hole, and then he'd get newspaper and put newspaper over the sticks, and then he'd get sand and he'd sprinkle it over the top of the newspaper. So when you're looking at it, it just looks like a normal beach. But of course, some poor person walking along is gonna stand on the sticks, the sticks are gonna snap, and they're gonna fall down the hole. And so he used to do that, then he'd go and sit off somewhere and watch the hole, waiting for someone to walk along and fall in. But imagine if he forgot where the hole was. And imagine if he walked over the top of those sticks, and imagine if he fell down into the hole. Now, that would be justice. And it's a little bit like what's going here. The evil people, they set their traps and their plots, but then those traps and plots come back on themselves. They fall into their own trap. Because what they do comes back to bite them. Have a look at verse 16. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. See, those doing evil will be caught in their own evil ways. And that's because it's a little bit like spiders and flies. Now, spiders can walk on their webs. They can glide across their spider webs and they don't get stuck because their feet are made for the spider webs. But of course, if a fly comes along and lands on the spider web, it gets stuck because that fly is not made for the spider web. And in the same way, humans are not made for evil. And so the person who persists in evil will eventually get stuck in that spider web of evil. The haters will be hated, the bullies will be bullied, the deceivers will be deceived, the gossipers will be gossiped about. See, God will enact justice the wicked will be held to account for the injustices that they cause. But it is worth noting something here. In the Bible, there's two kinds of justice. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, talks about this quite helpfully in his reflections on the Psalms, and he notes there's two kinds of justice in the Bible. There's the ultimate or heavenly justice, and there's the limited or earthly justice. And as Christians, we often think about that ultimate heavenly justice. We think of the justice that will come from heaven one day for all people when Christ returns. But Jewish believers in David's time often actually thought about the second kind of justice, justice for those living in obedience or disobedience to God today, here on earth. And so, though David's words do, of course, point to that ultimate heavenly justice, it does also have in mind an aspect of that here and now, earthly justice. And so he calls out to God, urgent in his request. He wants God to awake and arise, to bring justice here and now. 
And isn't that what we long for? When people are lying about us or falsely accusing us? When we face wrongs and injustices, when people slander and gossip about us? Don't we long for that? Don't we long for justice now? We long for God to make things right, to hold the perpetrators to account here and now. And often God does. Often God works to bring about justice now. With the Andrew Thorburn situation, actually a few weeks ago, didn't get much press, but Essendon actually had to come out and give a formal apology to him and acknowledge that they had done the wrong thing and then they donated money to a charity because of it. See, often in this world, God brings justice now. But not always. Not always in the here and the now. Sometimes we do have to wait for that ultimate heavenly justice. And that's why it's so helpful to remember that that other kind of justice, to remember that on that final day, God will hold the perpetrators of injustice to account. They'll have to give an account for their actions. And so we can take heart then in knowing that one way or another, God will enact justice. And that's why then we can do what David does. We can worship God, our righteous Lord. Have a look at verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. See, David responds with thanksgiving and with singing. But interestingly, have we heard of any actual solution yet in the psalm? Have we heard of David's injustices being fixed? Well, we haven't. We've heard David bring them to God, and we've seen that that's given him a new perspective, but there's been no solution yet. But nevertheless, prayer gave David a vital turn. He shifted from the need for justice right now rather to celebratory praise over God and his nature. See, in a sense, David's time of prayer does what prayer often does. It counseled him to worship God more and better than he was before. Now, I came across this quote recently about a biblical counselor, which I found helpful. Uh, perhaps if we could get it up on the screen. So this is a quote about, um, about counselors, and it says this, uh, the job of counselors is to work themselves out of a job by restoring worship in the heads, hearts of the hurting. In a sense, what's a counsellor to do? Or try and work themselves out of, the, out of a job, out of the need to be there, because rather they're meant to restore worship in the hearts of those who are hurting. And David's time of prayer did just that. It did what any good counsellor should do. It pointed him towards a deeper appreciation of God which then resulted in thanksgiving and praise. Now, of course, the injustice was still there. There were still false accusations. There were still the lies, the slander, the mistreatment. But David wouldn't be imprisoned by that. Instead, he freed himself to praise God. And this is the joy that prayer brings. It frees us from slavery to injustice. Because when injustice or unrighteousness abounds, It can have an imprisoning effect on your soul. It can rob us of our joy. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Or have you ever met anyone like that? Have you ever felt so captured by bitterness and resentment? So much so that it stopped you from enjoying anything else in life because you're so fixated on it. 
Well, when that happens, it's like a cancer inside of us, eating away at us. Yet the psalm, this psalm here, offers us the solution to that. It doesn't diminish the harm of the injustice, of course not. Injustices are still hard to face. It's hard to be gossiped about or falsely accused. It's hard to be slandered or have our reputation destroyed. That's all hard and that remains hard. But even in the midst of that hardship, this psalm offers something greater. Not a lust for vengeance, but a good God who we can rejoice in and then we can set our eyes on, who we can worship and praise because he's our righteous Lord. See, this psalm is good news. If we care about injustice, then a God of justice is good news. Except that, by nature, we're all actually on the wrong side of judgment. Because even though we've sometimes been the victim of injustice, we've also committed them ourselves sometimes. See, sometimes people have told lies about us, but other times we've told lies about someone. Sometimes people have made false accusations against us, but other times we've made false accusations against someone else. Sometimes people have slandered us, but other times we've slandered someone else. See, sometimes we've been the victim of injustice, but other times we've been the perpetrator of injustice, which means that on that final day, we too will be held to account. We too will face judgment for the injustices that we've committed. And it's only by taking refuge in Christ, only when the judgment for our injustices is poured out on Him, only then can we be spared. And that's the ultimate reason we have, though, to praise God, because of the cross of Christ. We always have the beauty of what Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, the reformer, called the great exchange. Uh, This is a quote from him. I really love this quote. This is what he says. This is the mystery of the riches of divine grace for sinners. For by a wonderful exchange, our sins are now not ours, but Christ's. And Christ's righteousness is not Christ's, but ours. There's this incredible exchange where our guilt and our sin is now Christ's. And His righteousness and justice is now ours. I love that quote and it so perfectly summarizes the gospel. And it's because of that that our injustices are washed clean. All of the injustices we've perpetrated against others, swapped with Christ's righteousness and blamelessness. And so that's the dual reality about injustices. We've all sinned and need forgiveness, and there is forgiveness in Christ. But of course, we've all been sinned against, and we need healing. And so today, are you hurting? I wonder, are today, are you the victim of injustices? If so, then I'm sorry you've gone through that. And praise God, though, that there's healing to be found in Psalm 7. You don't need to take things into your own hands. You don't need to try and get vengeance. You can simply come hurt and wounded to God, to the throne of God as a child. And as you do, there's, in, there's tremendous, incredible comfort in knowing that God hears and God will bring justice. See, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. God hears that quote and God agrees 
and he looks at the injustices going on and he's rightly angered by that and he will do something about it, whether that be in this world or the next. And so knowing that enables us to live in joyful worship of God, the justice bringer. And so as we close, I'm going to pray and thank God that he is a just God. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father above, uh, we come before you as wounded, hurted, hurt people who have suffered great injustices. We know that some of us have experienced this in the past, but we also know that many of us might be experiencing this right now. Uh, to those of us who are, would you give your uh, healing and peace? Would you give us comfort in knowing we can call out to you for action? and in knowing that you can and will do something about it. How would you give comfort and peace by that uh, wonderfully uh, encouraging truth? We thank you as well that even though we've been the perpetrator of injustices, still because of Christ you've forgiven us. The judgment we deserve was poured out on him. And we thank you for the forgiveness offered in him and the, uh, the way that you have balanced both ju ju judgment and justice with mercy. So it's in his name we pray. Amen.